about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. To infinity and beyond! Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? It's classified. You talking to me? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I can't lie! Expecto Patronum! Entertainment X. You never know what you're going to get. For this episode, I sit down and chat with Matt DiCarlo. Matt is currently stage managing on Broadway, Beetlejuice, the musical, and simultaneously directing the play that goes wrong, the national tour. Matt's ambitions are infectious. And through this episode, I learn, and you'll get to learn, the life events and lessons he's learned that have brought him to this very moment. So, sit forward and enjoy this episode with Matt DiCarlo. Keep on keeping on. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me is Matt DiCarlo. Matt, thank you for taking this time to sit down with me today. Thank you. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah. You're, I'm catching you at the end of a full work week. Or it's the true. Be- or the beginning of a new full work It all week. depends on how you look at it. So today's Sunday, right? We're chatting. You just finished a matinee. Beetlejuice. Yes. Tomorrow's rehearsals. The play that goes wrong? Correct. Stage managing today, directing tomorrow. Yes. This is cool. Is this what you wanted? It's uh, completely. I mean, I think uh, I always say I never, uh, it never falls short on me that like I am living the dream that I thought I had when I was a kid. I think it's, uh, I feel really fortunate to be able to have all of these cool opportunities coming my way. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about all of it and so much, so much. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what were your theater dreams growing up? Where did it begin? Uh, I think, you know, I feel like most kids, your sort of gateway into theater, your avenue in is by being in a play. Of course. In, you know, like that's all we know. Being in the school play, uh, that was my journey in. I think yeah. I... Uh, I fell in love with it really early on in elementary school, just okay. doing our like elementary school musical reviews. And yeah. I think I sort of uh, connected with it in a way that I didn't connect with all of the other uh, extracurricular activities that I tried as a kid. Okay. Um, and when I was uh, young, I stumbled upon the great performances on PBS recording of Into the Woods and became fascinated by it and loved it. Um, Was the whole thing or one moment? Is there one that stands out in the mind? I mean, for me, it is my favorite musical still to this day. Um, I, okay. the, the, the sort of like one midnight gone section of the show, I remember being really interested in as a kid. And of course, not quite understanding everything that Into the Woods means. Yeah. But um, at that point in my life, I certainly connected with the fairy tale aspect of it all and the sort of incredible stagecraft that that original production had. Uh. Um, and uh, the first Broadway show that I saw was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yes, it was. Yes, with Michael Damien at Come the marquee. On. Come on. Uh, and I I was sort of hooked. I mean, I was hooked. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do. I, I never wanted to sort of do anything else. I can't... People always say, like, if you didn't do th- this, what would you do? Yeah. I have no idea. This is all I ever wanted to do. It, from the time I was eight, you know, I feel yeah. like this is all, this was it for me. What was it about it? Because Into the Woods is not Joseph. I mean, those are no. two complete, completely different genres, so to completely. speak, of theater. Um, for me, I think it's always been about storytelling and connecting with people. Hmm. And um, 
this sounds so cliche, but being able to uh, create magic, you know, to like to make to create a world yeah. that didn't exist before the group of people that were creating it made it. And I think it's a lot about um, yeah. working with people. I think uh, the interesting thing about that is, of course, as like a young theater kid, uh, I spent a lot of time, my parents always say, I spent a lot of time like in my bedroom with the door shut, listening to cast albums and like drawing sketches of what I thought scenery would look like and like planning productions that would never ever quite come to be. <laughs> but it, I, you know, that was how I wanted to spend my time. I was so much more like focused on that than like at times my schoolwork and in a way like growing up more focused on that than a social life. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of got into high school that I found like a whole niche of people that were like as into it as I was. And it, that was really cool. It's a great moment. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I totally. Remember it. I remember my high school. Some communities do have community theaters and some don't. You yeah. have one. Yes. And you weren't just doing the stagehand thing. No. <laughs> I, um, I, the Villagers Theater was the community theater that I grew up with. And I, uh, what town is this in? Uh, it's in Somerset, New Jersey. Okay. I grew up in Hillsboro, which is like a next town over. Cool. Um, I, I loved it. It was completely my home away from home. I, um, there are so many people that I grew up with at that theater that I really call my second family. I, uh, I was sort of involved in every aspect of it growing up. I like went to go see shows there. I did the children's shows there. I did the teen shows there. I was like, did stuff on the main stage. I like, at like an, like way too young of an age, pushed myself into like being able to direct there. Um, and it would you know, it's community theater I think is so important because it's, a place and really was a place for me to like test the waters and push, like push myself to do something uh, that felt so significant at the time and still feels significant. And I think um, if it wasn't for so many of the people there that championed me and supported me back then, I don't know that I would have had the guts to be here now. Uh. What are do you like some of these lessons that you've learned at this young age? Do you remember them? What were you learning at this community theater? Um, what was I happening? Mean, you know, it's it's all of those sort of um, things that we all know about theater that we uh, know happens when you sort of sub uh, immerse yourself in that world. Uh, sure, lots yeah. of uh, I I feel like I learned so much there and grew up learning about people and how to interact with people and um, yeah. what it means to um, be in a room of people that are uh, there because they love it and there because yeah. they want to be there. And I think more than anything else, like it's there that I learned that like theater is a passion. It's not just a, a career. It's like a life choice. Mm -hmm. It is something that I think, uh, is hard. Show business is not easy. And, no. uh, that sounds cliche to say, but it's true. And, it's uh, extremely true. Yeah. It, when you're doing it as a hobby, mm. you do it because you love it and because you want to do it. Yeah. And I bring that into like every job I have. I feel so uh, grateful that I am able to love what I do. Yeah. And I know that I love what I do because the sort of like base of my 
knowledge of theater early on was surrounded by a group of people who loved theater and did theater because we loved it and supported me in finding the way that I wanted to do it. And yeah. uh, it, I am like forever grateful to that time in my life. Oh my God. Yeah. It shapes you. Totally. Were there men- do you have mentors? Did you have mentors? Do you have mentors? I had mentors there. Um, and, you know, more than mentors, I, I, I always say I had... I had people there who um, believed in me, you know, people who, and thinking back on it now, it it all seems so far away, but also like yesterday, but you know, like I can remember being in high school and walking into like the boardroom at the community theater and like making a pitch because I wanted to direct the revival version of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and I had a whole plan, and I wanted them to pay for it and front the money and give me the chance and let me do it, and they did. It, you know, like, they really, they did it, and over those years, through high school, through college, I would go to them with things that felt so sort of crazy for a community theater to take a risk on. I, you know, I was the director of the school edition of Les Mis there one summer and I wanted a turntable and they like <laughs> let me find a way to do it and I like directed Peter Pan there and I was like I'm only doing it if we can have flying by Foy and we can rent these costumes and I'll finagle the budget and I'll do this and I'll do that and they let me do it I wanted to start a program to train young kids about how to be in a musical it was called Min- Miniature Musical Makers and um my dear friend Donna Kimberlin, who was like my biggest supporter there and is a really, really close friend of mine, like said she would start it with me. And we like started a program that is still running today. And uh, again, it was just, I, I felt like the answer to me there was always yes. And it gave me so much confidence to like push forward. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they're not just saying yes to a kid. I mean, you have to have preparation, you know, and like, Oh, I think I drove them crazy. You know, like, oh, I I believe it. I don't know if I gave them a choice. I (laughs) where does that where does that ambition come from? Because it's another cliche term. You know, if you want to make it in this career, you got to drive. Yeah, yeah. But having that at such a young age and having that muscle, you know, be worked. You know, the confidence muscle that like it can set you up for the future in such great ways. That's why I'm like curious. Where did it come from? I think. um, I mean. My dad's incredibly driven. I I think he instilled in my brothers and I early. I have two younger brothers. Um, I think he instilled on us early that if you want something and if you, uh, you know, you want to thrive, you want to be great at something, you have to work at that. Yeah. And um, I think I made a decision um, early on that I was going to work really hard at one thing. And I think like even my parents today would say, I did work really hard on one thing. I had goggles on that were like so specific about like wanting to do theater and have a career in theater and focus on that, that I didn't really focus on much else in my life. And that didn't always work to my benefit. You know, I think, I think I had um, like a real laser sort of like focus and drive to like learn as much as I could about one thing. And I can remember thinking like, oh, if I just if I just sort of like do this, if I take this hurdle, if I, uh, if I learn this, if I study this, if I practice doing this, I'll be able to then do the next thing and constantly trying to like so push what, myself. What is this directing? I mean, it always, like it, for me, 
It always depended. It was, yeah. uh, you know, I think like even still today, I, people ask me all the time, do you want to be a director now? Do you not want to stage manage? And I say, no, that's not it. I, I don't want to have to decide to do one thing. Mm. Um, I think it's great to be able to wear both hats. I think yeah. at some point in my life, I'll probably pick one. <laughs> um, but um, I, you know, whether it was like at that point in my life, wanting to like get the best part I could in my high school's musical or direct the sound of music on the main stage at Villagers Theater yeah. or find my way into being an intern at Paper Mill Playhouse, like whatever it was, mm. I was like, I need to find out exactly the way that I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. Um, and I worked hard. Yeah. It's all hard work. Yeah. I am planning though. Lots of planning, lots of, um, dreaming. Yeah. You know, and like lots of goal setting. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I feel like lots of, uh, passion too yeah but yeah and confidence i mean you have to have confidence in yourself to yes do these things yes and if you don't you've got to find it you gotta you find know. it yeah so I, so i'm curious when you don't have it or if you don't have it at a moment in time because we're all human where do you find it what is your self-talk um i don't always have it i think um <laughs> what is my self-talk i um i think for me there's a lot of um trust in the journey and trust in the process and reminding myself always that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Is that and a religious if, thing or is that a spiritual no, I mean, being? Just I think it's a, more of a spiritual being thing. I grew up Catholic. Um, I went to a Catholic high school. Um, I would not call myself a practicing Catholic today. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, trusting the journey is something that I feel like, well, here we go. The Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie. Like, favorite. Oh, yeah. Love it have Wizard of Oz stuff, like have a collection. Um, and that is a lot about like trusting the journey you're on and following the path and like navigating through what's not always easy to get to the the, goal. the destination. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's like my parents will say that that's been my favorite movie since I was two, like since before yeah. I can even remember watching it. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of that for me and like, Follow the yellow brick road. You'll get there. Um, and also just really believing in the sort of universe putting you where you're supposed to be and knowing that it's not always going to be easy in, in where you are. And if I ever feel like I'm losing confidence or losing my footing, trying to double down on the fact that if I wasn't supposed to be here and I wasn't ready, mm. I wouldn't be here. Mm. And that... That I, I I always keep that in the back of my mind on the best days and the hardest days. Yeah. Ooh, good answer. So you're yeah. So it's yeah yeah yes. Um, we're gonna take a we're gonna do a slight turn here. Okay. Um, so directing community theater, <laughs> <laughs> all this ambition. You're obviously gonna do this for a living. Why not go into directing or study directing or make that. Why stage managing? Or did you study stage um, managing? I studied both, sort of. I got my uh, degree from Rutgers University in theater production. Um, and my focus was stage management. And like in my sophomore year, because they didn't have a BFA in directing at Rutgers. So oh. I focused in stage management and then basically like sort of navigated my way through making sure that I was also getting a lot of the sort of directing classes and experiences that I wanted um, 
because I was so interested in it. And I yeah. think um, certainly in sort of the the circle I'm in and the world I'm in, those two things uh, feel very different but aren't always. Mm-hmm. And there are so many uh, things about having, like in having directing experience that make me a better stage manager and so many things like that I bring to the table as a director because I have been a stage manager for so many years without making you like list some of the things. Yeah. Is it a, as simple as like tracking? Oh, that that actor won't be able to get to this point at this time or these I mean, technicians are just not good. Like the sure that kind of thing. I think that's part of it, but I also think it goes so far beyond that. I think, uh, eight times a week I, uh, connect with actors and I connect with crews and I correct with a creative connect with a creative team. And yeah. I think, um, a big part of my job is uh, maintaining the artistic integrity of a show and making sure that everybody is always um, in the show that we're doing yeah. and um, training understudies and working with replacements. And so much of that uh, yeah. comes into play when I'm a director. You know, I sort of over the years have developed a way that yeah. I. Uh, talk to people and, and take people through a rehearsal process. And I think, um, a lot of the directing work I have done has been recreating shows that I have a very sort of close life with mm. rock of ages, the color purple, the play that goes wrong. Yeah. Um, and I have such a specific language about, uh, those shows that I'm able to sort of bring to the table. But, um, I'm also, like you said, able to, as a director, step outside of the sort of um, of that part of it and think about uh, the rest of it. Meaning like, where is the crew right now? What is happening with the set? Of course, we're not going to be able to do that thing. I mean, I have that understanding of it. I've also been really lucky to work with, um, really special directors. And I think, um, you know, John Doyle, Alex Timbers, Cheryl Caller, like I've learned so much from these people. And, um, (laughs) I, I think they really influence me too. I think, um, I have really close relationships with those people. And I think that their work has really inspired me and the tone with which I approach work as a director. And also their, their tone inspires me as a stage manager. Mm. Yeah. Tone. Tone. It's a good word. Yes. What we'll focus on the positive. What are the things you've seen that works in terms of, you know, getting to yes in a situation or, you know, just conveying an idea or meeting people where they are, you know, the general human communication, especially on, you know, yeah. Um, I, as a stage manager, I think, um, so much of the job is how you interact with people. And I think there's a real art to, uh, the diplomacy of being a, uh, production stage manager. I think, um, it is more about how you say what you say than what you're saying a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, people always ask about like the word no and how do you say no? How do you, I think sometimes, uh, you have to find a way to say no to a, to somebody or to, uh, you know, navigate a tricky situation. And I think it's always important to operate from a place of, can I say yes? If I can't say yes, can I say yes, but, or can I say yes? And 
And if I have to say no, I'm going to do that with grace. Like I'm going to say no and explain why. Um, I think that, uh, there's a big difference between a, uh, dictator and a leader. And I think I always try to be a leader of a company and not a drill sergeant or a policeman. Mm. Um, I think tone is everything. I mean, I think, I really think, uh, sometimes I myself am in control of the tone of a room or of a building. And, uh, I think that's a big responsibility. And I also think that sometimes I'm there to support whatever the tone of the room or the building is. And, um, in both of those situations, I always try to like lead from a place of compassion. I think it's as cliche as it is. I think it's really important to be a light in the room, to be somebody who people feel like is approachable and who is, uh, open and willing to listen and also willing to talk. I think, uh, Again, I think it's really important as a director, as a stage manager, as an artist, as like somebody who does anything mm-hmm. to be able to um, talk to people and to understand people. And I think there's a difference between listening and understanding. And I always try to understand and not just listen. Yeah. How, yeah. So respond because it sounds like, you know, you're not reactionary. You know, you don't just it's not like a reflex. There's a response to it you've internalized, you're very present. Is there uh, a practice in which you're doing to keep yourself present? Is there anything you're doing before you enter the space or in the morning that gets yourself you know, present for the day? Um, I mean, I don't have a, uh, I don't have like a morning routine, so to speak. I think um, quiet time and alone time are important to me. And I, I live with my boyfriend and my dog. So, um, I think I like to find moments in the morning when I can sort of like be still, be quiet, get ready for the day. I mm-hmm. think my time on the subway is um, like sacred time. I was just gonna say and that. I, yeah, I like put my like put my iPod, like my my iPod, yeah. ancient, my <laughs> earbuds in, and like listen to music or yeah. listen to whatever I'm listening to, and really try to just like zone out. Um, because I spend so much of the day hmm. answering questions and making decisions. And whether I'm directing or stage managing, I always like, I make a big joke that like, okay, got to be on. Like now it's time to like turn it's the switch time. on. <laughs> and sometimes that means depending on what I'm doing, doing that from 10 in the morning till 10 at night based on the day. Yeah. And sometimes it's less and sometimes it's more. Yeah. Um, I always try to be like grateful for all of it. That's another way that I sort of like stay present and stay in it is that I I myself sometimes can't believe like the opportunities that uh, I've been given. And I, of course, work uh, really hard for those opportunities. But I also, it is not, uh, it like doesn't pass me by that uh, I'm really, really fortunate and I'm really, really lucky. And um, Mm. I want to like be good at my job. And I think that being good at my job means being present, means listening and understanding, means talking to people with diplomacy and care and compassion. And um, if I have to be reactionary about something, making sure that um, my reaction is one that is going to um, always be in the interest of fixing a problem or solving something rather than doing the opposite. Mm. Cause that ultimately is what I'm there for. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, this is great. Ooh, this is oh, great. Thank you. Thank good. You. Um, okay, so uh, again, keep moving along here. I curious, Rock of Ages. That was the first. It was the first stage management. It was my first big job in New York. How exciting. Yes. How? What was the time frame between college and that? Um, I graduated college in 2007, and okay. I moved to the city right away. Um, and after graduating, I directed um, some summer stock at Bucks County Playhouse, and I um, did a lot of production assistant work at Paper Mill Playhouse and got my equity card there in 2008. And in the summer of 2008, I... Um, got a message on Facebook from a friend who let me know that they gave my information to the production stage manager of Rock of Ages. Her name's Claudia Lynch because they were looking for a PA for the off-Broadway production. And um, I had already uh, agreed to take an equity job at Paper Mill at, for that sort of same time period. And I was faced with like the first time in my life when I had to make a choice and in weighing all of the options, I, it was so important to me to sort of like get myself into the New York commercial theater world that I was, I, to me, it was worth sort of losing the money and the health weeks of that equity job, which was high school musical. I remember that. Um, and do Rock of Ages. And yeah. I was originally only supposed to be there for a month while they were sort of in tech, rehearsal in tech. And I ended up staying on for the run as like an additional set of hands. And uh, when it moved to Broadway, uh, they needed an additional stage manager and they offered me that job. Um, and Rock of Ages completely changed my life. I mean, I, in 2009, we opened on Broadway. Um, two years later, um, a year and a half later, I guess the show transferred to the Helen Hayes. Mm -hmm. I went from being the assistant stage manager to the first uh, assistant stage manager. And then two months after that, I, on my like right before my 25th birthday, I became the production stage manager. And uh, I was so young at that time to be doing that. And um, I remember like our press office telling me like, you're the youngest PSM of a Broadway musical. Uh, and like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember right. feeling that like that was really cool. And also there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but the producers of Rock of Ages and um, Kristen Henge and Kelly Devine, who were the director and the choreographer, really, again, just like supported me and believed in me and were sort of like, do it. You can do it. Take mm -hmm. care of the show. And um, I was, I did Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages was five and a half years of my life. I mean, I... Uh, I directed a touring company of it. I helped set companies sort of all over the place of that show. And uh, I sort of learned how to be a PSM there while I was being one. Yeah. Um, and some of the best times of my life. I mean, some of the closest friends I have are from the sort of Rock of Ages family. And I think that's one of those shows that yeah. everybody who did it will look back on and say, oh, it was the best time. Like we had the most fun yeah. during those years. Yeah. yeah. What was your what was your relationship with the friend that got you your information sent over? <laughs> it what, was, how did they yes, know you? What it was, was a that? stage manager who I worked with at Paper Mill who saw a Facebook post from Claudia Lynch saying, I'm looking for a PA. Hmm. And my friend Becky was like, I have just the person. You should reach out to Matt. And oh my God. yeah. What are some of the lessons that you were learning like right off the bat becoming PSM? Was there <laughs> anything... Well, everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think some, I mean, the things that you learned that I learned like right away were uh, yeah. 
that it was a job that uh, was everything that I uh, thought it was going to be. But all of a sudden, when I was like sitting in that seat, um, I felt like an unbelievable responsibility and not just to the people in the building, but to something so much greater. Like all of a sudden, my perspective on what my responsibility to the show was like, you know, this, it was a show that I had seen through its entire developmental life to that point. And I, um, I think it was really useful for me to have sort of been there from the very beginning. Um, because of all the knowledge I had, I think I instantly started to learn the way I wanted to communicate as a stage manager. I think I instantly started to like, dip my toes into like when I need to note the show, how am I going to do it? How am I like a lot of the questions I got, I got asked in the beginning were, how is it um, working with a cast of people that is mostly older than you are and a crew of people that is, that are mostly older than you are. Uh, luckily for me, I had like in community theater, I was like directing adults when I was in high school. So sort of wasn't afraid of it, Yeah. but I do remember feeling like I needed to, impress people and that's not the right word but I remember thinking that if I wasn't if I wasn't good at my job yeah it it, people would think it was because I was young and I to this day I um I have always fought that I have always um I've never let my age come into it I think for a really long time I was sort of uh a kid, you know, who was doing things that were often done by people that are older than I am. And I think, uh, I heard about that a lot and I always worked really hard to make sure that people would never be able to say like, Oh, that kid who's a little bit of a hack because Uh, I didn't see myself that way. And I didn't want other people to, and I cared so much about that at that point in my life. Um, and some of the actors who were in rock of ages, uh, back then who I work with now, some of them are in Beetlejuice. We will like, we laugh about um, that because I think I'm the only one who probably felt that at the time. I think, you know, like there was a whole building of people who were uh, supporting me and sort of like wanting me to take the reins of that show when I did. And uh, I felt like such a pressure to like be great at it yeah. and to nail it. Mm-hmm. And I think um, over those first couple months, as I was figuring out like, okay, from the littlest things, like I'm gonna reformat the way we do our weekly schedule to like, I'm gonna restructure the way we do understudy rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I was like getting my, you know, like finding my footing as a leader. Yeah. Um, and I think when I made the decision to leave Rock of Ages, uh, it was, I left like eight months before it closed. It was because I had gotten to a point when I was, uh, I felt like I was ready to sort of like take a leap into a world that I wasn't as immersed in as there. I don't think I wanted to, um, for myself and for my career, I don't think I wanted that to be the only thing that I, that people thought I was capable of. Stage managing. Rock of Ages. Rock specifically. of Ages. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So I leapt. Yeah. Yeah. What, how long was that decision? Was that a quick, was that no, like, a, I'm ready? <laughs> no, it sort of happened. Oh, you know, I kept thinking about it and, um, I took a leave of absence at one point to, um, 
stage managed the world premiere of Honeymoon in Vegas, mm. which conveniently was back at Paper Mill Playhouse. And um, that was my first time being the PSM of a new musical from the beginning. Mm. And um, that was not easy. And it was... Um, it was a, it, I felt like I went from a show that I knew so well that was like a medium sized musical to a brand new creative team that was a big, big, big musical. And um, once I did that and came back to Rock of Ages, I remember thinking, um, I, I want to do that. Like, I want to do more of that. And, um, more of honeymoon. Yes, Got like it. more of more new. I want to like yeah. develop new work. I want to do more new projects. I want to meet people. I want to widen my network. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to be able to do that here in the Bourbon Room. Mm. Um, and I owe to this day. I owe so much of who I am and how I work to those years at Rock of Ages. And I also knew when it was time for me to step away because I had sort of hit the hit the ceiling there for myself. Yeah. Was there fear? Totally. Um, when I decided to leave, I didn't quite know what my next job was. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being this off Broadway musical called peace of my heart, um, that ran for like the summer after I decided to leave rock of ages. But mm. I think the fear was exciting to me in a weird way. I think I had, um, my journey in the city was so strange. I, <laughs> I had been on rock of ages for so long that yeah. I didn't ever really have the, the like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing next. I need to mm. figure that out. I need to find my way. I need to meet people and do that thing. And I, part of me feels like I missed that. Yeah. And so taking that leap and leaving Rock of Ages, somehow I think for me was, was allowing me to like justify being able to, being capable of doing more and I think I wanted my resume to have more on it than mm -hmm. a show. Yeah, and uh, that was exciting to me at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, having that self confidence to do it too is just ooh. <laughs> no, it's true. I, it's almost like you have it worse if you book something right out of college because you have this whole false notion of how volatile this career field actually is. Totally, and how difficult it is to actually. Yes you know, keep going from job to job. So if you're in one job for a couple of years and then it's like, oh, to leave it, it's a choice. It's a big choice. Yeah. Um, the color purple. Yes. How did that come up for you? Um, all, I feel like every job I've gotten is because of a connection I've had. Um, the Amazing. color purple, um, John Doyle, who directed the color purple, um, is a close friend and often worked with Adam Hunter, who was the PSM at Rock of Ages before I took over. And if I had to pinpoint somebody who was my mentor, I would say it was Adam Hunter. Um, he is also a stage manager who does a lot of directing and associate directing work. And um, he really taught me a lot about this business and about, mm -hmm. again, like how to work with people. And yeah. um, he, uh, at, there was a point in time when I think Adam... I'm trying to remember how this all went. He, like, I let him know that I'd be interested in being his assistant on The Color Purple yeah. because I assumed he was going to be the PSM because he did all of John's shows. And um, he ended up letting me know that he wasn't going to be able to do The Color Purple because he had a directing job that conflicted with the rehearsal process and um, set up a meeting with John and I. 
And John and I met at Schmackery's for coffee and tea and cookies to talk about the show and to talk about life. The day before I was getting in a car to drive cross country because I was going to do my first job with Alex Timbers, which was up here at La Jolla Playhouse. And um, I met with John. We had a great time. And I remember thinking, like, even if I don't get this job, I am so excited to sit with John Doyle for an hour and just, like, get inside his brain a little bit. <laughs> and um, I left that meeting. We, My boyfriend and I drove cross-country, and I found out that I got the color purple. So I knew... Um, that when I got home after that summer in California, I was going to go right into rehearsal for the color purple. Um, and that show was the most, uh, fulfilling experience. I mean, I think, uh, of course it won the Tony for best revival and we had the most amazing, I mean, like Jennifer Hudson, Heather Headley, Mm. Cynthia Erivo, obviously (laughs) Danielle Brooks, Jennifer Holiday. Um, like Isaiah Johnson, Kyle Scatliff. It was just like the most amazing group of people doing that show. And um, then we put out a national tour. I ended up being the associate director and staged the national tour for John. And um, What was that conversation? Was, I'm really curious. With John yeah. taking you from stage manager to associate director, I understand you know, it's a closer bridge than most people think. Totally. At least you know, yeah. what, what they both do. But what was that conversation? Did you ask? Did he ask? Um, Did you both like? I think we we I don't know that we ever really discussed it. <laughs> discussed it. I think we didn't have at the color purple uh, an associate director. It was sort of I maintained the show and I put people in. And um, when it came time to talk about a national tour, I was just always in the conversation about it yeah. because John and I I think just had a working relationship and have one in that I am. Uh, yeah, we never, we never, he never asked me like, do you want to do this? I think he just knew I did and I knew I could do it. And we knew that we'd have a blast doing it together. And, uh, we, we did. And it was like a great year. The show toured for a year and we had a great time. And, uh, yeah. How cool. I know. And so like, it's just like, great. So you're going to be doing this. Totally. (laughs) Oh yeah. And John's amazing. I mean, he, He's one of the smartest people I've ever met and he's so caring and he's so thoughtful and um, he's also so um, incredibly honest. And um, I remember as we were like getting ready to rehearse the national tour, it, we we would have them, he'd be like, great, so you're going to get the show on its feet and I'll come, you know, and it was, it was always just, I think, um, we were able to speak the same language and that, that made that sort of transition so easy. Yeah. What, okay, so speaking the same language as him, was that, I mean, obviously that's learned and as you guys talk more, you, you know, bond more, but mm-hmm. are you actively looking, you know, for his language? I know it's like a funny way to ask yeah, it, I but mean, like, were you seeking out that I think it's, magic wavelength? Yeah, with, with every, with every director I work with, um, I think as somebody who's often responsible for maintaining their work and recreating their work um, and uh, like reinvigorating it in a company, uh, you always look for uh, the way that they talk about their work and the way they talk about their show and um, our show, I should say. Um, So whether it's John or Alex Timbers or Cheryl or Kristen or whoever it is, I think you learn to talk about the show 
the way they've inspired to talk about it. And I will, in rehearsal, write things down that they say. And there, you know, the play that goes wrong is another example of this. And I, um, I learned that show from the creators from mischief theater. They came over here, they did it. I learned it from them. Um, was that another connection? Totally. It was, that was through the general managers the general managers of color purple. Um, when we found out that show was going to close, introduced me to Kevin McCollum and to mischief. And, um, I, interviewed for that job and um that was another show that we you know originally it was going to run for six months with the british cast over here and ended up running for almost two years on broadway it's about to go out for its second year on the road it's running off broadway it's it's the gift that like keeps on giving in (laughs) ways that i can't even describe it's you know it brings people so much joy but like when i teach that show and i'm I'm directing it again right now um i try to talk at it and drive the process with the sort of like mischief theater ethos and with their sort of like language and fundamental um, sort of baseline, the way they like to work. And I like bring that to the work in that process Mm -hmm. um, because that's how I know the show gets built best. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when I like do work of my own, I, I have had like the privilege of like being able to bring in like what I've learned from mischief, what I've learned from John, what I've learned from Alex, what I've learned from Kristen, what I've learned from Kelly, like yeah. all those things sort of come into play and it helped shape the way I approach all of my work. Yeah. Was uh, what were you, we were brought on for the play that goes wrong as the PSM. And then I became okay. on Broadway, the associate director. Um, and now I direct the companies here in America. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Was that another understanding? Um, that is one. They, uh, the producers uh, and Mischief asked me to direct the tour when it first went out. And um, of course I jumped at that. And then uh, when it opened, when they were going to transfer off Broadway, they asked me to restage it there. Yeah. Um, and now I, yeah, now I sort of handle it over here in the States with, um, I have on that show now an associate, Mark Evans, who's an actor who was in the show um, at uh, the Lyceum for a year and is now in Waitress. Um, but he is the sort of associate that works with me to sort of maintain now that we have uh, two companies running here in America. Yeah. Yeah. How co- That's just, it's incredible. Okay, so you drove, rewinding for a quick second, you drove across country to work with Alex. Yes. What was that show? It was called Up Here. Okay. It was a world premiere musical um, that... Uh, I ended up going to do because uh, when Honeymoon in Vegas closed on Broadway very quickly, mm-hmm. um, which was so sad because I loved that show. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, through another connection, I met with Alex yeah. because they were looking for a PSM for up here. And um, I could have flown across the country, but my boyfriend and I like really wanted to do the drive. So we left like 10 days before I was supposed to be there, planned it all out. Um, with a um, company manager friend of mine who got us all like set up at all the different hotels. And um, I loved working in San Diego. I would go back there in a second. I thought like La Jolla was the most beautiful place to work. It sort of felt like you're in like a resort the whole time you're doing a show. Um, And it was written by Bobby and Kristen Lopez. And um, the commercial producers of up here were the, producers of the color purple. So we're all, there were all these weird connections in my life at that time. Totally. Um, but, um, 
I had a great time out there doing that show. We It was when I really got to know Alex for the first time, and obviously our relationship has continued on over the years. Here we are doing Beetlejuice now. And um, yeah. we also, it was uh, Josh Burgos was the choreographer of that show, and I found uh, his work really exciting and found him really fun to be in the room with, and uh, it was great. Yeah. Is Beetlejuice one of the most technically technically advanced shows you've stage managed? It is the most technically it advanced is. show. Yes. I would say it was this and then like Honeymoon in Vegas, probably second, maybe tied with up here at La Jolla Playhouse. But yeah. um, Beetlejuice for sure is the most technically advanced. Yeah. Yeah. How has it been going? It's great. I mean, yeah. it's, it is so exciting to see Beetlejuice uh, having the success it's having. Uh, for I, real. I mean, it, yeah. it is, it's really amazing. I, we did the first 29-hour reading of Beetlejuice in 2015. So I've, I've watched the show grow mm-hmm. over the years and watched it evolve and have been so immersed in it for so long that it is. it was like thrilling to see it come to full life in Washington, D.C. last year. It was um, incredible to, to watch its sort of journey to Broadway and... Um, most amazingly to watch the momentum around the show build over the last couple months. I think it's uh, defied expectations in an amazing way. I think it's connecting with people in a way that is surprising. And um, it is a lot of damn fun. Like it's a really, really fun, well-crafted, smartly executed show. It's, I, I mean, I just, I'm having the the best time doing it. Has every journey along the way of Beetlejuice been electrifying? You know, just electric every time? Yes, I've always, um, I've always believed in it. I always, um, it's, it's one of those, I think, like on first listen, like you hear the Beetlejuice, the musical, and you instantly, the instant reaction is like, what is that going to be? Yeah. Seasonal? And totally. <laughs> yeah. And we did our first 29 hour yeah. reading and the show was so different than it is now. Okay. Um, but I remember like instantly connecting with how funny it was, how charming it was and how good the music was. Mm. And over the years watching it sort of evolve into the piece it is today I, has always been exciting. It's one of those shows that every step we took was a step forward. It was not you know, every show has a different journey, but Beetlejuice is not one that I feel like has taken steps back on its way. It has always been a show that has like taken a leap with each part of the developmental process. That's such a good feeling. So cool. When it's always, yeah. Am I ignorant in saying that this is like the first of its kind to do so well, you know, having such a, you know, dark vibes around it that it's doing so well. I just can't, I can't think of another show that, has no it's really and it's um you know i think it was amazing for the show that it got uh nominated for best musical and we were able to perform on the tonys and i think that performance really reached a lot of people and i think our um i mean i don't even quite understand it but our cast album has like unbelievable reach and uh there's an app called tiktok where the beetlejuice music is going viral and um the show is like wild on social media and we have like watched since we started previews in March, watched the winter garden become more full, you know, like it's been amazing to wow. sort of like over the months 
watch that and watch the show's um, journey and the show's life and the show's uh, uh, energy shift. Like, um, I I can't even explain how um, rewarding and exciting it is because so many people have worked so hard on a show that uh, is so special and people love. And it's so cool. What a great feeling. Yeah. Um, as we get towards the end here, yes. Um, in life, what do you know? What do I know? I know that um, <laughs> I know that uh, family is really important, and chosen family is really important. I think chosen the, family. Yes, yeah. the reason I say that is because in like this business that we all chose, um, you sacrifice so much, and um we work on holidays and we work on weekends and uh, we work nights and, you know, like we have this sort of opposite life of so many people mm-hmm. and that the, the sort of universe we create for ourselves and that support system is so important. I think um, something else I know is that it's so important to find things um, no matter how busy your schedule is. And I am saying that as like a workaholic to the, hundredth degree but it is so important to find the things for you that help you relax and the things that um give you perspective um I think I always you know sometimes you get asked the question like if you could give people one thing what would that be Mm -hmm. and I always say it's perspective I think um being grateful being thankful being able to see a situation through um your eyes and also somebody else's is so important. I know that to be true. I know um, that it's important to be able to see the micro and the macro of situations, even when it feels impossible to do that. Um, Mm. That's been something that's really informed how I function. And um, I know that the world isn't black and white, that there's like a lot of gray Mm -hmm. in there. And um, that informs a lot of how I handle situations. It seems like you have empathy for the gray. I think so. I like just to think this, I do. I mean, you know, this is our first time chatting, but yeah. it's like, it just seems like, you know, and having that empathy. I think you have to, right? I mean, it's what keeps it more positive though. And it can't be, yeah, it, it, it can't all be black, white, right, wrong, yes, no, all the time. It yeah. doesn't, the world doesn't work that way. So... Yeah. That is something that I do, like, I know for sure that there is a, there, you know, there is a middle, there is the, a middle of everything. Yeah. And I is. try to, like, operate from that place so I'm able to see the yes and the no. Yeah. Do you have a favorite failure or a parent failure that, like, set you up for success? Um, oh God, that's a hard question. Um, I, I mean, I don't know that I have one particular thing where I'm like, oh, if I had done this differently, yeah. everything would be different. But I do think that I am, I hope I'm self-aware enough to know when I've handled something badly or when I've handled mm-hmm. something not as well as I could. Mm-hmm. And I try to um, be humble about that and learn from it. I am not somebody who's able to um, let things go easily and I let things weigh on me if I feel like I've, wronged somebody or somebody feels like I have hurt their feelings or let them down. Mm. And, um, 
I don't like letting people down. That is something that I also know. Um, so I, I always try to learn from experiences when I've done that. So I don't do it again. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's really good. Do you have, um, any like favorite books, documentaries, movies, anything that's, I, um, I mean, I am so, I mean, I do have, I guess I do have favorite books. I, I love the book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I love the book, The Book of Lost Things. Um, and I'm also like terribly interested in like the New York Times bestsellers. Hello. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, like I'm so happy to like pick them up. Yeah. Um, as far as movies go, I am, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, The Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie. I said that yes. already. I think yes. that aside from that, I think I am a big fan of um, all of the like, criminal documentary like yeah. how to make a murderer i like couldn't stop watching it i um all of those like i'm in it with in, mindhunter right now completely like all of that stuff i'm so into i also yeah. love a um like reality based drama like the crown okay i'm so yeah. into those things um and also such a sucker for like primetime network tv I like still watch Grey's Anatomy. Come on. No, yeah, that is so true. Hard. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's also like, talk about one of those things that like find a thing for you that like helps you relax. Watching Grey's Anatomy is like no thought required. I can just watch this thing for an hour and not think about anything and not check email. And yeah. it's, it's like so dorky, but I love it. This is us. I'm there. Like all of that RuPaul's Drag Race. Love it. I just checked out the pilot of Stumptown. Have you heard about that? Yes, I haven't watched it yet. Holy crap. Is it good? The, the screenplay writers are so smart. The title of the pilot was Forget It, Dex, It's Stumptown, which is the last line of Chinatown. Yes. I hope I'm not quoting that wrong. But it's just like smart. You know, when you can look at something and mm -hmm. it's smart and it's crafted and it's well done, which, I mean, you're getting so much better at <laughs> in theater alone. I mean, you can just like... Right. I would mm -hmm. imagine, I don't know if you get to even read scripts or, you know, just even get to dissect musicals. Totally. For fun. Yes. You know, you're really finding those themes and those keys mm -hmm. that, yeah, make a good show. Totally. Tell a good story. Yes. Um, billboard quote, metaphorically speaking, is there a word or a phrase that you'd put on a billboard for millions of people to see? It is what it is. I say that all the time and it could mean oh any number of things, yeah. but, um, I mean, I, it sort of is my ethos about everything. And it goes back to like, I'm right where I'm, right where I'm supposed to be. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, here I am. It also is like, guys, it's not that deep. Here we are. It is what it is. Like, it can, it can be so many things. I have like signs that say it. People get me like pins that say it. I have a badge somebody got me. It, it, I use that phrase all the time. It is what it is. Totally. Matt, this is great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Thanks you so for, much. Thank you for chatting with me. Um, upcoming for you. Yes. What What's the future look like for Matt DiCarlo? I mean, the future looks like Beetlejuice, which is so fun. If you have not been to the Winter Garden yet, come. Yeah. Um, and the play that goes wrong is going back out on tour. It opens in Richmond, Virginia at the end of the month and is out um, for the next nine months. We love it. And um, it's chugging along at New World stages eight times a week. So um, while I'm over in the netherworld at Beetlejuice, I'll be keeping an eye on uh, the play that goes wrong while it's doing its brilliant thing. Busy, busy. Yeah. I love it. Well, 
Thank you for doing this. Thank you for chatting with me. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Matt DiCarlo. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. <laughs>